Welcome to season three of the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Alexandra Hughes, your Viewpoints host. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the ASCA Viewpoints podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alexandra, and we are now in March and midterms are here and spring break is here. Spring break is a thing, y'all. Like, my goodness. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I do know that for some of us, We have spring break now, um, I wish, and I'm going to say congratulations. For those of us who have spring break next week and the weeks following, just hang in there. We got this. We can get to it. I know for me, I was thinking about if I was going to go anywhere for spring break and not, I'm actually just going to stay in the office, hopefully try to catch up with all things student conduct related. Maybe the students will allow me to have a quiet spring break. I'm hoping, I'm very optimistic. So I'm going to have those well wishes upon everyone else as well for their spring break and whatever it is that you decide to do. So before we get started on this episode, I actually have a couple of announcements uh, from ASCA. So I'm gonna go through those relatively briefly. So just please stay tuned and take down this information as needed. So first off, we have a call for Reflections authors that will be opening up soon, probably around mid-March. So please be on the lookout for that. Uh, It will be coming. If you guys would like to be an author in the Reflections, please stay tuned. Let's see, March 16th, Gearing Scholarship Applications are due. So for anyone who would like to possibly attend Gearing this summer, uh, I know I talked about it on my news episode uh, last month, but Gearing is an amazing opportunity. I will be there this summer. So if you want to connect with me, please feel free to come. But if you want to possibly get some uh, scholarship money for your professional endeavor, then go ahead and make sure that you fill out that application. Again, that's going to be due March 16th. March 20th, uh, we have a drive-in in Michigan. So if you have any information about that, if you need more information, please be on the lookout in your email for that. And lastly, March 30th, conference committee applications are due. So for anybody that wants to be a part of the conference committee, it's a wonderful experience. Please make sure you're a part of it. But if you want to be a part of it, please make sure that you turn in your application by March 30th, okay? Those are my updates uh, as of this week. And if you guys have any questions, please feel free to email ASCA at theasca.org for any more information. Check your email because all of these things are going to your email. And for some reason, if you haven't gotten these things in your email, please make sure that you log into your ASCA account and just double check the membership and make sure that all of your information is up to date to ensure that you are getting the most updated information from ASCA because it does go to that email account that we have on file. Okay. Let's get into this week's episode. Um, So for this week on the show and for this month's viewpoint, I am so excited and I'm so excited because I had a really great interview with uh, a particular person in our field by the name of Jessica White. Um, 
And some of you know her. And for those of you who don't know, Jessica is a phenomenal leader in the field of higher education. And she is an expert on all things related to Title IX. Let me just say that it is incredible just to sit down and talk with her because she really has a wealth of knowledge that is so helpful for, for really just all of us who are in student conduct. And so at the annual ASCA conference this year, Jessica, as well as another member of our ASCA community, Dr. Kyle. Williams did a presentation that was titled Black Bodies in Title IX, and the room was packed. It was incredible to see how many people came. Um, I heard so many people talk about how they wanted to attend it, even if they didn't get the chance to. And so we figured it would be a really great opportunity to kind of speak about it on the podcast. And so in their particular presentation, they looked at the idea of Title IX from the angle of examining the historical context of our country, and more so the history that our country has with people of color. So let's be honest, all right? Let's take a pause, let's be honest. These are hard topics, and they are hard topics to talk about because they center on a lot of things that are challenging, right? But this is what I think makes a really good episode because it's the conversations that we're striving to have on this podcast. Because quite simply put, this podcast is a place where people can learn and not feel judged for maybe not being aware of a particular topic. And that's okay. And maybe they don't have all of the knowledge on a particular topic. And that's okay as well. And maybe they might be a little bit afraid to ask questions um, if we're in a public setting. So luckily with this podcast, you're not necessarily in a public forum and you can listen and process on your own time. The podcast was originally created that way we can become better professionals. And so that's what we're going to do. And always remember, if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me at ascapodcast.gmail.com and we can most definitely connect on there. So I am so excited because luckily after this presentation, I was actually able to grab Jessica and she sat down with me to talk about what she did in that presentation with Dr. Williams. Uh, Dr. Williams won't be on this episode. He will actually be a guest on the show later in the future, Um, but both of them will be faculty at Gearing this summer. So if you'd like to learn learn more about the work that they do, that would be a wonderful place to connect with them. In this conversation that I have for you guys, Jessica talks about a brief history of, you know, perception and stereotypes and how it impacts the way that we may view our students and the importance of being able to recognize those. She gives great tips and really good tricks, uh, really gives some good information that we can use as our in our role as student conduct professionals. And she even gives us a book review at the end. So please make sure you stay tuned for that. This is a great educational piece and I'm so excited to keep this conversation going. Stay tuned. So we're here at ASCA 2020 at the conference and I have Miss Jessica White in front of me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on our podcast. We are excited to have you Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this because I think it's important and the work that you're doing is extremely important. So for the, our listeners that we have on our podcast, can you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners where you work? Sure. My name is Jessica White. I am the Title IX coordinator at University of the Sciences located in Philadelphia, PA. Okay. And so can you tell us a little bit of like 
how you got there on that journey, what your journey in higher education and student conduct, what that looks like. Yeah. So after grad school, I knew I was going to work in higher ed. I never left, you know, higher ed and student Mm -hmm. affairs. Um, I started off, though, not understanding or not knowing what, um, you know, what functional areas. So I've worked in residence life. I've worked in orientation. I've done student activities. But then I... Um, found myself in the Office of Student Conduct at University of Delaware. Um, And I worked at University of Delaware for nine years, Um, got a lot of great experience, a lot of great mentoring, um, and fell in love with student conduct. So then in 2011, when the Dear Colleague letter came out, there was lots of conversations about how do we adjudicate sexual misconduct cases and um, you know, trainings became available. And so I was able to take advantage of that. And that kind of opened the door into the Title IX world. Okay. So would you say your passion is Title IX? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So can you talk <laughs> a little bit about why Title IX? Like what drew you to it? What made it your passion? Because I know some people listening are like, woo, Title IX, we don't want to touch it because it's scary, right? Yeah. It's a lot of law involved with it when it comes to like what you're talking about, like the Dear Colleague letter. OCR, you know, I think that there's a lot that happens with Title IX based upon like our political climate, our administration, Mm -hmm. and it scares people. And then the other side of it too, Title IX, you know, that's our lingo, right? Mm -hmm. But it's dealing with cases, dealing with things like domestic violence, sexual assault, rape, all those different things. And that in itself is a very hard topic and it can be triggering for some. It can be really hard to deal with because there is no like winner, right? When it comes to these cases. So what kind of like made you really like latch onto it? I think one of the things that was... um that, that made a huge difference in my career was when I went to ASCA's conference in 2010, when we had St. John Dixon, um, Fred Gray. Um, and different people that yeah, were there. Yeah, all the people who were associated with Dixon v. Alabama, mm-hmm. um, who they, they came to speak. And I really took away from the fact that these individuals, these students' voices weren't heard. Um, and they felt ignored by the administration and, and how tough it was to fight for something that they believed in but not have the opportunity to have a voice. I kind of saw the same thing happening in Title IX cases. Students um, felt like their voices weren't being heard or they weren't being understood or they weren't being taken seriously. And so I wanted to hear from all the students involved. Everyone needs to get treated fairly, whether they're respondents, whether they're complainants. Um, And so I made that my passion um, in, in Title IX cases and it Title IX just continued to, to um, roll from there. Um, the other thing I like about Title IX work is that it's not just case adjudication. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to collaborate with lots of individuals on our mm-hmm. campus communities, on our uh, local communities, with um, partner uh, the, the students, their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much opportunity to really look at student success, to look at student engagement, um, to you know do programming, to to, to all the different things that we talk about in student affairs as being so important, it all comes together in Title IX. Okay, okay. So I know at this year's annual conference that you did a presentation um, regarding Title IX and Black bodies with Dr. Kyle Williams. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that presentation? It was extremely popular. There were a lot of people there um, and it went over really, really well. So Thank could you. we maybe get a little bit about that on our episode? So for those listeners who were unable to attend mm-hmm. this session, I know there's so many that are going on. Um, maybe we could just talk about that and kind of the things that you talked about there and then that way they know. Yeah. So 
we found it was important to take a look at how race, particularly um, the image of the black body, um, how that intersects with sexual misconduct cases in Title IX. And so at first we went through some of the historical pieces, how slavery impacts our uh, vision of the black body, um, how we were property dehumanized. Um, we took a look at some historical cases that have impacted the work. So with Emmett Till, Scottsboro Boys, um, the Tulsa race riot, all of these started with um, different allegations because of someone's race, because mm-hmm. a, a white woman um, accused a black man of rape. Mm-hmm. Um, we also then talked about how do we take the historical pieces and then transform to modern day. So how does the media play a role in that? What TV, mm-hmm. what shows are on TV? What, how, are, how is music influencing mm-hmm. that work? And then lastly, what does that mean for adjudication? Mm-hmm. How can we as conduct administrators be aware of our own race um, and the bias that might be present mm-hmm. and still offer a fair and neutral process? What are some points we can be considering and conversations we can be having, trainings we can be offering to make sure that we're able to fully see the students who are in front of us? Mm-hmm. So that's important. I want to kind of go back a little bit to some of the historical context that you're speaking of. Um, I know one of the cases you mentioned was Emmett Till, and I think that is a very um, popularized case. I think a lot, it's, it's more so people know about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to even talk about that and just actually right now we are in DC and over at the African American Museum, yes. one of their exhibits is actually his um, his casket, yes. right? Um, and so even the fact that you guys talk about that, and I know on my first day here, I actually had the opportunity to go visit that. It was right on par with really, you know, the message that I think this year's conference was really talking about. Um, even to understand his story and what happened, and like you said, you know, these allegations that came about and then how his body was treated, right? Um, And that's kind of the history behind it. Um, You know, he was actually pulled out of his house. He was a young black boy from Mm -hmm. Chicago. He had gone down south um, to visit some family. While he was there, he was accused of whistling at a white woman. And so after that, some people came after him, took him out of the house where he was staying in in the south, dragged his body on the ground and ended up sinking him in um, a body of water. I think it was like a lake. And not just dragging him and then sinking him, Mm -hmm. shot him, gouged his eyes out dismembered him like so like it was a brutal and horrific rape that we got to see when Mm -hmm. his mother put the casket Mm -hmm. had an open casket funeral um and lynchings really were a way of making sure that the white race protected its women Mm -hmm. and made it clear to the black race Mm -hmm. You are not to rape our women. You Mm -hmm. are to stay very separate. So it was a way of keeping us in our place. It Mm -hmm. was a way of instilling fear. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we might see some of that in our sexual misconduct process Mm -hmm. in this fear of processes because um, historically lynchings were Mm -hmm. the process. Mm -hmm. So lynchings were when they would take people of color, black bodies, um, and actually tie someone to a tree with a rope, right? And so what that looks like when someone was accused of someone and the actual violence that occurred for black bodies um, in these cases is really just something that's absurd to think about. But then to see how that has continued in our systems, right, in our institutionalized systems. And like you said, in the media, right, what are we seeing the over-sexualization right, of these people of color and the bodies of people of color and is extremely important. 
and how that dynamic plays into, you know, as we are investigating these cases. Um, you mentioned implicit bias earlier and what that looks like in bias. Could you talk a little bit about that and why it's important um, for our people that are investigating these Title IX cases to know what bias is and maybe their own biases and awareness mm-hmm. about it? Yeah. So anytime um, we have individuals who might be filling in the gaps in a case with stereotypes mm-hmm. or assuming things simply because of what they may have seen in the media or some of their life experiences or or even been taught from generation previous their own previous generations it becomes dangerous because um essentially what we're doing is taking a race a whole race of people mm-hmm. and assigning an identity to them which may or may not be true in in this particular situation mm-hmm. and so oftentimes for black males it is that they are um, aggressive or animalistic um, for black females that they wanted. There's this insatiable appetite for sex. Um, and of course they want it, so they would never say no. Okay. And in terms of credibility, it can't be believed. Mm-hmm. There's um, some other historical um, uh, situations where uh, or, or cases where the black woman was found to have lied. And so therefore, all black women cannot be trusted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so when we are adjudicating these cases, we need to make sure that we are looking at the facts of the case, we're hearing the case before we decide it, um, that we're weighing the information that we have in front of us and not letting some of these assumptions, these stereotypes creep in um, and be assigned to our students when um, it may or may not uh, be pertinent to the case. Mm-hmm. So I think as people who are investigating these cases, what would you say to someone who's like, but like, I'm not someone that's assigning these stereotypes. I'm not, you know, doing that. I'm, I really am looking at, you know, the student as they come in, like, I'm not biased at all. Like, I've never been biased. Like, yeah. how would you talk to someone who's like, no, I do not have these biases. Like, well, even period. if you don't have those biases, our students are coming into the case with these concerns. Mm-hmm. So will this person believe me? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're thinking about reporting, there's already this hurdle, will they believe me? But then will they believe me again because of my race? Or do I need to explain what this means for me to be Black on this campus? And then I can now tell you what happened because you understand the context. So even if someone is not um, acting on their bias, it's still going to show up in the room Mm -hmm. when we're interacting with our students Mm -hmm. of color. So that's important to understand, too, what barriers may exist and not that us as administrators or investigators are putting those there. But just like the same way it's possible for us to have biases, our students may have biases as well. And so, you know, and I think you, you really brought up a good point. We know that when it comes to Title IX and the types of things, and we're looking at what's going on in the country, you know, a lot of times victims don't feel comfortable, you know, saying what happened because they're scared that they're not going to be believed. And so that's why we're doing all this work to make sure that these things are in place. That way they know we believe and we're here and we're going to help. And we want want to help you work through that and whatever that looks like, of course, in, in each particular case. But, you know, it's now the added layer of, you know, as a person of color, as a black woman or man or whatever that may be, right? Um, are they going to believe me because of the stereotypes that exist about people like me? Also making sure maybe administrators are understanding the campus climate, right? Oh, absolutely. I think that a lot of times on campuses, you know, and, and of course, one, as administrators and faculty and staff, we're like, oh yeah, like 
we have a very different experience than our students mm -hmm. to start off with because we're getting like paid to be there. They're, they're in school, right? We have the degrees, they want them. But then on top of that, how does that dynamic look at a campus, whether that's racially, right? To where would the student be comfortable even coming in and saying like, this is what happened and I need help. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about slavery, Jim Crow era, um, Black individuals felt like second-class citizens. We know, you know, they were three-fifths of a person at some point. And so today I would ask administrators, how do your students feel on your campus? Do they feel um, like first-class citizens on that campus? Or do they feel second to others? And, and for each campus, that other could look very different. Um, and so when we think about students coming forward and reporting other incidents, how are they handled? How are they treated? Do they feel like their voices were heard? Um, so if a student is complaining about a roommate or students complain about a racially charged incident, when they walk away from that situation, how do they feel? Do they feel respected? Do they feel like it was taken seriously? So if we can accomplish things like that, that's one less hurdle we need to overcome when thinking about then reporting for a situation where this notion of believability is that much more complex. Mm -hmm. Something else I wanted to add, based off of what you said, this notion of um, start by believing. We know that is so important, so foundational to this work. We want to make sure we are getting um, victims and survivors connected to the resources um, that we have on our campus and in our community to make sure they are working towards that healing process. Mm -hmm. However, as adjudicators, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we are also listening to the information and not simply believing just because the first person came forward or it's something that fits the narrative that we have in our own minds about what occurred, or it's an easy answer because we're getting pressured by athletics mm -hmm. or, uh, uh, um, you know, our donor office or whatever office has has um, political clout on our on our campuses, um, and and in the in believing in listening to the information that we receive, it's more than just believing who came forward or believing the victim, believing the respondent. We are we are neutral and fair and listening to uh, the facts of the case. Mm -hmm. And I like what you said, it's start by believing. And I think it's important for people to understand that just because you start by believing this person doesn't mean that you don't believe the other person, right? right? right. And so I think sometimes people think that it's like a duality, like it's like one way or the other, it's adverse. But in fact, that's not necessarily the case when we're looking at these investigations and how do we support people involved? You know, respondents' rights in these cases and what does that look so like? Important extremely important, um, especially because there's so many different, you know, outcomes of these cases and it's impacting people's lives. Right. Um, and I think that's important because we want to make sure that we're doing like the the people of the situation justice, the victims justice, but everyone justice. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because that's fair. Um, so how would, you know, someone as an administrator connect with maybe campus partners um, to talk about things? So, for example, you said, hey, look, if someone's coming forward and saying, look, we have this residence life concern and I, I brought this forward, you know, some time ago and no one listened to me. And that's why I don't report anything because you guys are terrible. Right. Like, <laughs> we've all heard that before. And we're like, but we we didn't like we didn't know. Right. Like, so how do we do better in that sense? Right. How do we get the word out there? What do we do that way? In case there is an important situation, students know that their voice will be heard. I think one of the important things as administrators is that we are collaborative. We're building networks on our campus, um, having conversations. 
Um, Tile nine cannot be done in a silo. Um, and so whether we're working on various committees or building partnerships throughout different divisions, academic, student affairs, um, other functional areas, it's really important to at least have doors open and being able to engage in those conversations. Um, some offices are always going to be more challenging than others, but it doesn't mean we're not at least um, making that effort and making sure that our campus knows who we are mm-hmm. um, and know that we are accessible to um, talk with. And, and when we think about reporting, you know, are there various ways that individuals can mm-hmm. report um, you know, is it, do they feel more comfortable talking with someone that they trust, maybe one of the deputies or a responsible employee? Do they feel more comfortable going online, following an anonymous report? So having that variety that meets the needs of our campus mm-hmm. is going to be so critical as well. Okay. So here's a question. Maybe this is a hard question, right? But how do we, or what advice would you give maybe to professionals that are on a team of people and maybe they don't have the power of being like the title name coordinator, right? Maybe they're just like an investigator, right? And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's real in our line of work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's there's the power dynamics and what that looks like. And what advice would you maybe give to an investigator who is aware and is, is, is seeing some type of bias play out, whether that's in someone else's case, whether that's in the um, their supervisor's review of like their case. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're like starting to say, you know, there's some type of bias going on here. But how do they say that to, you know, the powers that be like what how would you walk someone through that, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that process? Well, I think. Anytime we are reviewing cases or having conversations with individuals throughout the process, there's an opportunity to ask thoughtful, thought-provoking questions. Mm-hmm. I think it's through that clarification of information, even if there's bias, we're going to get a better outcome. So um, help me to understand you know, your choice of words. Mm-hmm. There appears to be some information omitted here that could help us understand um, you know, this particular point of the case. Um, and... On my campus, our investigative reports, I really take a lot of time to review the analysis of the information. What information um, do people agree with, the complaining respondent? What information do they diverge on? What information supports this? And so and when we take time to do that analysis, mm-hmm. um, I think we can also look for points of bias. You know, these two points aren't adding up. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Where's the information to support or 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 maybe we don't have information to support. So why is that? Mm-hmm. So I think even though it may be racially charged mm-hmm. or there may be some unconscious bias at play, mm-hmm. I think the answer for those who are working the case, hearing officers, appeal officers, is being thoughtful and critical in how we review that information. Mm-hmm. And just making sure that we're being open and honest about what we're seeing and making sure that, you know, Really, we're saying, hey, this doesn't like this doesn't add up or this doesn't look right or, you know, something here just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? And I think it's also important that we recognize our own bias. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't be an expert in all things. Right. So if there is something happening in a case that I'm not aware or I'm not I don't have that, that cultural context for, mm-hmm. what are different ways that I can get further understanding? Are there individuals I can talk with? Is there... Um, are there other resources available where I can then understand 
what does this mean? What's the context? How does this play into the case? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we overlook moments like mm-hmm. that, that's another opportunity for bias to slip in. Okay. And even looking at things like intersectionality, right? Absolutely. So like in this particular you know session that you guys did, you really talked about Black bodies, and I think that's important. But we also want to say, you know, intersectionality in spaces, you know, if that's queer identities, what does that look like? exist as well absolutely like when we talk about um trans people of color Mm -hmm. that there is a that that's a whole nother session right there waiting to happen Mm -hmm. um we talked about the uh tulsa riots Mm -hmm. and um black wall street there's the intersection of um affluence or or ses along with race Mm -hmm. and how does that play out Mm -hmm. so there's lots of different opportunities Mm -hmm. where uh, we may see that in a case or or where students may bring that into the room um and along with it becomes questions of safety and reporting and Mm -hmm. accessing services afterwards Mm -hmm. and their comfort with being able to do that. Mm -hmm. So maybe one of the things that we can do to be better prepared is to one, I think maybe create our teams, right? To where we have diverse teams, because quite frankly, like you said, you know, one of us can't be an expert in everything. And I think we all have very lived experiences and different lived experiences. Um, And so if one, if we can start off by creating diverse teams, right? That would help, you know, first off, because we can obviously bounce those ideas off of and make sure that we're we're really doing justice to the process. Um, But then maybe after that, would say, well, hey, look, you know, if I know that my team isn't as diverse as I want it to be, finding those on-campus resources and places and people to connect with, Mm -hmm. that way you know that's there, on top of also providing those different types of services and knowing what's there for our students that are involved in this So, I mean, you have to know who those places are and and who you can connect people with. But then how are you making your students know about these? So how are you sharing these resources? Um, Where are you sharing it? So if it's only on one website, maybe our students are accessing it, maybe they're not. So what are the places that they're going to in Mm -hmm. order to access these services? And many of our campuses are going to have various levels of resources um, but there are also many national organizations mm-hmm. who are looking at issues of sexual misconduct and race, mm-hmm. whether it be um, African-American, whether it be Latinx, whether it be Asian and so um, and and plenty more. Um, and so being able to identify those as well mm-hmm. and get our students connected if we don't have those in our own communities. Okay. Okay, that's important. And I think that's really good information, you know, at least a starting ground, you know what I mean, for people to go, um, because we do want to make sure that we're giving people, like I said, you know, the real justice that that they deserve, you know, and what that looks like. Um, Okay, so is there anything maybe that I didn't ask you that you would like to add for our listeners? Um, Well, I think it's important that we stay well read and on top of um, current trends that are happening. Um, I will say um, over our winter break, I had the opportunity of reading um, Malcolm Gladwell's book, um, Talking to Strangers. So okay. that's going to be my recommendation. So people need to buy that. Okay. Yeah. Um, the reason I think he asked a lot of great questions about the intersection of race in um, adjudication processes um, and how do we, how does that play in? How do we process information um, in order to make decisions? There's a lot of great examples, both from a cognitive perspective as well as an interpersonal dynamic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really got me thinking. It really 
um, challenge me in how I do my work. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be my recommendation. Okay. So everyone needs to go get that. It's Talking to Strangers by Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm going to add that to my list of readings because I can do that well. Well... Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on our podcast, for sitting here and speaking with us. You have a knowledge and wealth of information um, that is just incredible to see um, and just to learn and to hear from and to know that. And I'm glad to know that you are doing great work, you know what I mean, where you are and with your students. So we're excited to see that. Thank you. So thank you so much. Um, And with that, listeners, we are going to conclude our episode and we will see you next time. And make sure you tune in to ASCA Viewpoints Podcast. Thanks so much. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Alexandra Hughes. That's me. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and become more visible to our podcasting community. If you have suggestions for future guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, feel free to reach out to us by email at ascapodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ASCA Podcast. If you'd like to connect with me on Twitter, you can find me at Alexandra's View. Talk to us. We talk back.